Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, December 15, and today in our briefing topic, rents are actually going down in some parts of the country, so is it time to ask your landlord for a rental decrease? We'll explain how to do it in just a moment. First, Annika Smethurst joins you for the big news of the day. First up, Tom, how does a ski trip to New Zealand sound? Well, that's a good start to a news bulletin. (laughs) (laughs) It might not be Japan, but perhaps you might be able to get over to ski in New Zealand next year. Well, I've already got a trip planned already for September, but yeah, the big news um, overnight was New Zealand finally announcing that there could be uh, the travel bubble we've all been waiting for. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, says she'll set a hard date soon, but it will happen before the end of March. It is our intention to name a date for the commencement of Trans-Tasman quarantine free travel in the new year once remaining details are locked down. I'm getting married in March, so maybe a honeymoon in Wellington. Look, it will be contingent on case numbers in Australia with 28 days without community transmission, one of the key conditions. The Australian government will also need to sign off on it, but Health Minister Greg Hunt says he will. We're ready to, uh, to implement uh, from our side as soon as New Zealand's ready. Uh, we understand it may take uh, a few more weeks, uh, but uh, we're working constructively and patiently. Yeah, so he sounds pretty keen, but Western Australia's Health Minister, Roger Cook, a little bit more hesitant. People can look forward and propose new models of care or new models or setups in relation to travel bubbles and the like. At the moment, we're just simply focused on keeping Western Australians safe. Yeah, I can understand the hesitation as much as it'd be nice to get to New Zealand, Annika. The whole thing will, I guess, open up to a, a lot more risk. Each country will be depending on, on the other country's hotel quarantine for all the other international travellers. And with so many um, you know, cases in other countries, second and third waves in Europe and America, um, hotel quarantine will be under a lot of pressure. And they'll also be going through some of the same airports, I imagine. Yeah, they're going to try and quarantine staff from those flights. But look, I feel confident about it. At the moment, we're trusting other states with this. We have had breaches all over Australia at at different quarantine hotels. So I guess we've just got to trust New Zealand as much as we trust our uh, compatriots in other states, I guess, Tom. And what do you think about this idea that we'd need 28 days without community transmission? Would the whole agreement blow up if there was you know, one case of community transmission? That is what it sounds like at the moment. We saw with some of the domestic borders, that was a condition also. I don't know what happens, though, if you've already left for the other country and then it blows up and whether you can get back or not. And a New York City ICU nurse has become the first American to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. She got one of the first three million doses of the Pfizer vaccine, which has also arrived in Canada. Still overseas and London's returning to the hardest possible lockdown after a surge in cases. Uh, UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock believes a new strain of the virus could be behind it. Initial analysis suggests that this variant is growing faster than the existing variants. We've currently identified over a 1,000 cases with this variant, predominantly in the south of England. We've notified the World Health Organisation about this new variant. Sounds terrifying, but look, he did say that there's no evidence that this is actually more lethal and that doctors believe it will still respond to existing vaccines. Yeah, and we've seen other countries in Europe introducing strict lockdown measures in the last few days as well. So, yeah, still a pretty tough situation there. Um, In the US, as the vaccine uh, rolls out to ICU nurses... Um, The Electoral College is actually meeting and expected to confirm Joe Biden will be the 46th president on January 20. So that's all happening. 
as we bring you this podcast. So that'll be evolving um, as the day goes on. In New South Wales, plans to change the drug laws have been delayed because the state government can't agree on how to deal with people caught with small amounts of drugs meant for personal use. Yeah, so some members of the New South Wales government were advocating a three strikes policy uh, where people caught in possession of small quantities of drugs will get three fines before criminal penalties kicked in on the fourth offence. Uh, It was aiming, they said, to put health and safety above punishment. But the proposal was leaked to the media after some Conservative MPs voiced strong opposition, and now the reform appears to be on hold. Yeah, meanwhile, in the ACT, quite a different story. It could become the first place in Australia to decriminalise small amounts of all drugs. The same Labor backbencher who introduced a bill to decriminalise cannabis, which passed, has announced he'll bring forward a bill next year. Although the Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, hasn't endorsed a bill, he says it's an important debate and he's pleased it's on the agenda. So how do you think this will pan out, Annika? ACT seems to be um, quite different when it comes to drug policy to places like New South Wales, where we just heard that, that classic story where someone wants to make a change, but Conservative MPs can't stomach any real drug reform. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, Canberra definitely takes a different tact on a lot of these things. As was said, last year cannabis did become legal. There's also a different thought within the government. We've got a Liberal opposition here that's actually not opposed to this. I heard the new leader out yesterday saying they're interested in the bill and they're not necessarily going to block it straight away. So different to the rest of the country. And I think if it is going to happen anywhere, the ACT is where it will happen. The federal government is urgently trying to confirm whether China has blocked Australian coal imports, which are worth $14 billion a year. Chinese state media has published an article which says that power plants can import coal from all countries except Australia. Yeah, Trade Minister Simon Birmingham is calling on Beijing to immediately rule out the report, adding that if it's true, it violates our free trade agreement. Annika, this would be a massive hit. We've, you know, seen beef, barley, wine take a hit, but when you start talking about coal and iron ore, these are massive industries and and a hit to those industries would be a big blow for the whole Australian economy. Yeah, it certainly would be. You can understand why they're rushing to try and verify these reports at the moment. Look, there is an option Australia has, which we haven't done so far, and that's taking up this dispute with the World Trade Organisation. When you have free trade agreements, putting these sort of bans and tariffs on isn't actually something you can do. So there is an avenue for us to fight it. Otherwise, we're going to have to look for a new market. That could be India. There's a number of other countries, but it'll be hard to make up that loss of losing China. A monster storm is leaving a trail of destruction across two states and it severely damaged one of Australia's most iconic beaches. Byron Bay's main beach has been washed away by the winds and rain that have been lashing Queensland and northern New South Wales for the past few days. Forecasters say the event is similar to a Category 1 cyclone. Here's Byron Bay resident Johnny Abegg describing the scenes on Channel 10. Basically there was just trees falling into the ocean and washing all the way down to the wreck and um, a lot of the dunes have just been bashed to pieces. They're up to like 8 to 10 feet high and yeah in the 25 years I've been in Byron Bay I haven't seen anything quite like this. Yeah, in some areas around there, like the Gold Coast hinterland, they've seen 700 mils of rain over the weekend. Uh, The highest tide is expected today, although it's helped the weather cell will start to move south. All right, coming up in just a moment, how to negotiate cheaper rent. (laughs) 
Like many of the bizarre things that have happened in 2020, rents have gone down significantly in parts of Australia. Yeah, it's kind of a strange situation for a lot of renters who only know about rents going up and, you know, basically feeling like the landlord always has the upper hand, but it's not the case at the moment in some of Australia's biggest rental markets. So, Annika, it could be a good time to make sure you're getting a fair deal on your rent. Absolutely. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we get that letter saying our rent is going up. Look, in this briefing, we're going to find out how you can actually negotiate a rental decrease. Yeah, in some parts of the country, the pandemic had a big impact on renters who are more likely to have insecure jobs. So to give the renters more security than they'd normally get, Scott Morrison said this in April. State and territories will be uh, moving to put a moratorium on uh, evictions of persons uh, as a result of financial distress um, if they are unable to meet their commitments. So since that announcement, a third of renters have asked or were going to ask for a rent reduction or deferral, according to a survey from the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute. And two out of five of them got a rental reduction, like Samantha in Brisbane. They actually dropped it by about 25%, which was incredibly generous. They ended up reducing it by 120, which was great for me. Um, yeah, but definitely unexpected, but was really, really, really lovely of them. One in five people that asked for help with their rent actually got a deferral, but almost a third of people that asked were declined. Yeah, and the other big changing dynamic in the rental space is that the rent in some of Australia's biggest rental markets have actually been in decline. So you can actually look up what the rental market is doing in your postcode or state. SQM Research makes this data freely available. Yeah, so we looked it up and in Sydney, apartments are down almost 10% over the last 12 months. In Melbourne, they're down 5%. Uh, In Hobart, where prices had been really pushing a lot of people even onto the streets in some cases, uh, rents for apartments there have gone down 7%. So let's find out how you can make use of that information if you're renting in those areas where rents have gone down. Leo Patterson-Ross is the CEO of the New South Wales Tenants Union. Leo, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. How much has the power dynamic in the rental market changed since the pandemic hit? Depends on where you live, to be honest. In the middle of the city, uh, where a whole lot of people moved in a really short amount of time, and we also saw a whole lot of people who live overseas, either tourists or uh, longer-term residents, like international students, left, we've seen a real change. Uh, Rents have dropped enormously. The vacancy rate is really high. And the people who are able to still afford to live in those areas are having a much easier time finding a new home if they need to. But in the regions, on the edges of the big cities, actually, the story's got worse for tenants because a whole lot of people have had to leave the expensive inner inner ring areas Mm. and move somewhere that they can actually afford or moving to find more space, moving uh, so they actually have a backyard uh, instead Mm. of, uh, you know, a a little apartment in the middle of the city. So it's actually made it a lot harder for people who are already on lower incomes generally trying to find a, a home in Penrith, in Campbelltown, in Sydney, for instance, but also all the way up and down the coast. Um, People are telling us that it's actually gotten a lot worse. And that means that the landlords um, continue to have a whole lot of power in deciding who's going to live in in the property. Leo, I think a lot of people would be in a situation now where they got some rental relief during the toughest stages of the pandemic and they might be coming to the end of 
the agreed period where they got a rental decrease, but they're noticing that rents have gone down around them. So the landlord might be saying, hey, well, you know, things are back to normal almost. You should be paying full rent. And the tenant's like, well, you know, the market's changed. And so if you're mid-lease, how do you deal with that situation to get a fair deal? Yeah. So you do need to decide at the end of the day what you want from the from the property uh, and from that landlord because, you know, a negotiation is about the two sides coming together to try and find the, the middle ground between their two positions and it depends on how strong their position is. So if you're in the middle of a lease, it's not as easy for you to walk away if, you, if you're out of a lease contract, you don't have an end date period. You you probably will have to pay a fee if you have to leave. So you would be saying, is the rent I could get somewhere else for a place that I actually want to move to so much better than what I've currently got that it's worth me losing that break fee? And also, is this a temporary thing? So, you know, if if I think that I'm going to get a good deal for this six months, 12 months, but then in a year's time, in 18 months time, um, I'm going to want to come back into this particular area in this particular sort of type of property, maybe I will have actually been better to stay where I am, maybe say to the landlord, look, I'm doing you a favor by staying where I am. Let's not increase the rent, you know, at the end of the term. But it may not end up being worth it to break a lease. It might be, you know, the, the rents might be so far down that it actually is a really good time. But I think that's the that's the barrier for yeah. many people. So is the best way to have that conversation to say to the landlord, look, this is what rents have done in this suburb. They've gone down by this much or this much. Give them some examples of similar properties that are much cheaper than the one you're living in and say, look, I don't want to break the lease. You don't want to break the lease. Why don't we come to an agreement for the rest of this lease? And that way I'll stay on beyond the lease so you're not in the situation of these other landlords who are struggling to find tenants. I think people should definitely look first at all the, the properties around, see what's happening in their particular area for those kinds of properties. If you were trying to negotiate a new rent, uh, you're trying to stay, you would probably want to try and sign a new lease and extend that time as far as possible because the the problem with, particularly in New South Wales uh, and most states other than Victoria, the problem at the end of that lease is the landlord can turn around and evict you for no reason. They don't have to have a good reason. It may be uh, they're taking a speculative punt on what else is out there with other tenants. And so uh, quite often people come up with agreements in theory, in spirit, that um, don't pan out because the residential tenancy agreement can be ended without any cause. Okay. So if you are going to have that tricky conversation about lowering the rent within the lease period, what's the best way to approach it? Do you Do you set out a detailed email with examples of other properties? Is it best served as a phone call? What's the best way to approach this negotiation? It it really does depend on your relationship with your particular landlord or property manager. Uh, So some people have a great relationship and they can sort of pick up the phone and just have a chat. I think that for many people, the first step is the letter putting out your case saying, look, this is where the, the market is. This is where I'm at. What can we do here? And if you've given enough evidence and a good reason for them to come to the table, then you can probably have the phone call or they'll consider it just on the paper and come back to you. Um, the problem with a phone call is it can be really hard to judge 
what they're thinking. For most people, you're going to be talking to the property manager, not the landlord. And so they're going to take what you've asked and go to the landlord and put it to them as a as an option. That's where having it in writing is probably the advantage because you don't know how the property manager is putting your case forward. You don't know exactly how they're going to phrase it, how they're going to explain what you're after. So uh, if you've got it in writing, you've got all your evidence together, then uh, you know exactly how you've you've put that forward. What sort of stuff should people watch out for, especially during the pandemic? What sort of stuff are you seeing? We have seen a whole lot of people go and ask for their landlord uh, for a rent reduction and come away not quite sure what they've been given. Uh, So a lot of people needed a rent reduction. A lot of people got a rent deferral where the rent was still payable. It was just payable at a later date. And really, this is just falling into rent arrears, but with a little bit of a grace period to pay it back. It's not actually helpful to someone who's you know, lost 60% of their income uh, and, and hasn't really got uh, a good prospect of getting that back in the short term. So being very clear what you're actually getting and whether that's actually what you need um, because the, the eviction moratorium framework in New South Wales and in most of the states isn't a true full eviction moratorium that, that prevents every eviction. That eviction moratorium is about stopping that person being evicted and the tribunal will look at the financial position of both the landlord and the tenant and they'll decide whether or not an eviction should proceed. They don't actually get to decide what the rent should be if they say, look, the landlord hasn't done enough here, you need to go back and and renegotiate. But they will prevent the eviction if it looks like the landlord hasn't negotiated in, in a good faith way. And that means bringing it down in a really genuine amount. So that's probably been the biggest thing that's affected the most people. It's really hard to get data on this in a comprehensive sense because so many of these agreements, tens of thousands of New South Wales are out in the community. They're not going through official channels. Um, But the best numbers we have is that about a third of rent reductions uh, were only rent deferrals. There was no rent reduction at all attached. And that means it's going to come back and bite as soon as the That was Leo Patterson-Ross from the New South Wales Tenants Union with some very practical advice. Yeah, maybe if you've had some success in this area, feel free to share it with us and, of course, share it with your friends. Yeah, if you want to share this episode with someone you know who's renting, who, who could do with some of those tips on how to negotiate with their landlord, get a better deal, a fair deal, strike one back for the renters out there, um, share it with your friends. Tomorrow on The Briefing, are Australians falling out of love with alcohol? A Podcast One production.